the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Oh, yes, indeed. A Tuesday, February the 7th for you. Good afternoon and welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour of 5 p.m. on this edition of Lifeline. How are you? I hope you're doing well and uh, great to be back with you for uh, another series of the program we call Lifeline. Much to talk about on today's show. Working our way backwards because... Why not? Coming up tonight in the second hour, 6 o'clock, we will carry the President's State of the Union address live from Washington, D.C. It promises to be filled with plenty of promises. <laughs> How much comes to fruition? Well, time will certainly tell. We'll have the details for you live and direct tonight here. Coming up at 6 p.m. again, the President's State of the Union address live tonight at Six o'clock here on KFAX. A little bit later on in this first hour, Brian Johnston's going to join us. If you thought the overturning of Roe versus Wade was going to kind of be the end of the story related to abortion on demand in America, as you know, that essentially vacated um, any codification of abortion at the federal level but has now allowed the states to essentially individually decide, and a growing number of states are doing so in favor of life, and a growing number of states like California are decidedly pushing back in the opposite direction, but not just in terms of allowing abortion to be free and on demand and even opening the floodgates for so-called abortion tourism from other states where there are greater restrictions on abortion, but now, now even in California... With the proposal of Assembly Bill 315, California's pro-abortion legislators are making good on their promise to go after the state's pro-life pregnancy care centers in a real big way. You would think, well, wait, Craig, you said they were pro-choice, so shouldn't they want information regarding all of the options to be made available to women? Well, you would think so, but um, terminology is not all of that accurate. What they intend to do in terms of trying to um, essentially muzzle pro-life centers across the state is pretty frightening. Now, in recent years, federal courts have indeed struck down California laws that restrict First Amendment rights, but there's no guarantee in this case. Details coming up later on in the program as we're joined by Brian Johnston with the National Right to Life Committee. All right. Meanwhile, let's talk a bit about... 
99 Luftballons, well, maybe not 99, but there was certainly one Luftballon belonging to communist China that's gotten some attention um, both here in the U.S. and globally over the last week. Now, I can report to you tonight that most of the wreckage from that Chinese spy balloon that was shot down over the weekend has been cleared off of North and South Carolina coastlines. That's the word from the North American Aerospace Defense Command saying that a crew from the USS Carter Hill worked to clean up the debris. Possible more could wash up on the shore in the future. Now, a senior U.S. general says that the Chinese spy balloon that flew over the U.S. last week was enormous, 200 feet in height. Air Force General Glenn Van Herrick said the payload under the balloon shot down by a U.S. fighter jet Saturday weighed a couple of thousand pounds, significantly more weight than you might expect for a so-called weather Balloon. Van Herrick added that several incidents involving such balloons have occurred um, during the Trump administration as well and early under the Biden administration, but it was the first time that the U.S. military detected it early enough to do something about it, calling the fault so called domain awareness gap, or we messed up in more plainer language. To get some insights as to what may potentially be the agenda here, but particularly at a time when so-called uh, uh, efforts by the um, regime in Beijing has been trying to do better when it comes to relationships with the West, largely for economic reasons, we're joined by Stephen Mosher. Stephen is an internationally recognized authority on the topic of China. He is the president of the Population Research Institute and also author of the newly released and best-selling book, Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream is the New Threat to World Order, recently released by Regnery Press. And, uh, Stephen, great to have you back on the program again. Uh, you know, obviously, there's there's something afoot here, not only with the appearance of this balloon over United States airspace for the last uh, almost week, uh, but at the same time, apparently a similar balloon was spotted floating over South America, specifically over Colombia and Venezuela. From your perspective as a China expert, I mean, it, it seems to me it's probably not much of a chance that this all happened by accident. It was simply the Gulf Stream taking over. What do you think is really going on here? Well, what I really think is going on is uh, that the Chinese Communist Party is engaged in a massive, massive espionage effort across the planet. And it's doing it using uh, what they call uh, uh, airships, uh, facing in Chinese. Uh, we should stop calling it a balloon. You know, a balloon suggests a party, right? Right. Uh, so a balloon suggests something small, something like uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is, is carrying into the to hear the State of the Union address from Joe Biden tonight is a white balloon about a foot in diameter. That's a balloon. What this thing was, and we should call it what the Chinese call it, and they call it an airship. And it's an airship that has been in uh, design and in manufacture since about 2015. It's an airship that can carry uh, not just meteorological equipment. That's silly. Uh, meteorolo meteorological balloon are much smaller and carry much less equipment. Uh, it can also carry uh, missiles. It could carry uh, chemical weapons. It could carry an electromagnetic pulse bomb. A uh, small one that would set off and, and paralyze all electronic communications. It could carry, uh, I mean, it could carry a virus uh, for that matter. So uh, this thing is, is multifunctional, and they've been sending them all over the world. Now, I'm a little skeptical of this story, to be honest, that uh, 
you know, uh, yeah, we did a bad job in the Biden administration, but look, Trump didn't do anything either. I don't think that's that's true. I think that they they have released information that, yeah, they spotted a few balloons off in the Pacific in the past. Uh, they spotted one over the Gulf of Mexico. But um, the idea that these balloons have been around for a long time and that we we didn't and we shouldn't do anything about them is nonsense. Uh, I think that if uh, John Bolton uh, and uh, and Radcliffe, the former uh, director of national intelligence, and Mike Pompeo, uh, the former secretary of state and CIA director, all say that this never happened under the Trump administration because they would have known about it. That we ought to believe President Trump when he says, "I would have, if I'd known about it, I would have shot it down," uh, as indeed we should have uh, when we first detected it. Uh, entering U.S. airspace uh, up near Alaska. Well, and this is this is perhaps one of the biggest questions. You know, initially, Stephen, when I got wind of this, my, my reaction, I suppose, was like like most uh, level-headed Americans. Well, wait a minute, <laughs> they're sending a spy airship over the United States. Uh, what goes up will come down. Let's let's uh, speed or hasten that uh, uh, that um, reuniting with Earth and shoot the thing down. Then the more I thought about it, I said, you know, the only problem is in the wake of the experience that the world has been collectively through related to COVID, who knows? And I think to suggest that it's simply spy equipment or meteorological equipment could potentially be dangerous because you these days you just never know. So I, I, I kind of um, reverse my thinking on the notion of just shoot it down, particularly don't want to see the thing come down over populated areas. But I guess the big question is, you know, with, with all of the sophistication that we have and satellites and, and monitoring capabilities and radar and things of this sort, I wonder why when it crossed over the 12 mile limit and technically was over U.S. territory, and I'm assuming that that works aeronautically as it does um, from a naval standpoint. Right. 12 miles out, that's that's our limit. So if you're you know 11 and a half miles out, guess what? You're in our territory. We have every right to shoot the thing down and retrieve the uh, um, the the uh, the remnants or the remains. I just wonder why that didn't happen initially. Well, we certainly detected it. I, I think the idea that that something coming in, coming in over Alaska and and coming in over NORAD, you know, the, the eh, thank you. NORAD. That's exactly my thought. Yes. Yeah, uh, coming that we that we put in place, you know, fifty years ago to detect anything unhappy that would be coming from the former Soviet Union. Uh, those radar stations, very sophisticated, uh, would have detected this thing when it was still out over the uh, Gulf of Alaska, uh, coming towards Alaska shores. Uh, and it could have been taken out then by, by some of the fighter aircraft that are based up there uh, for specifically that reason. They're always intercepting uh, Russian and more recently some, some Chinese planes that venture close to U.S. territorial waters in the Bering Strait. So they, they, they should have been able to be airborne and take this thing out very, very quickly. And if they had wanted it, let it, let it go into uh, Alaska. That would have been fine, too, because Alaska is largely uh, underpopulated. And it would have been easy to find a place where you could drop the balloon in a in an area that would might inconvenience a polar bear, but but wouldn't wouldn't uh, damage any human beings or, or human habitation. So uh, the idea that we simply sat on our hands and didn't do anything while this thing traversed the entire United States is just a shocking gap in our national security. And I think in terms of, of international perceptions, 
if you're China or if you're Moscow or if you're uh, even our allies around the world uh, looking at this, uh, they're all thinking that's weak. Uh, that is a, a very weak response to a major provocation. And I think the Chinese quite, quite deliberately did it on purpose. Um, the, you can control this airship in the following way. We know how the wind blows up north. We have the westerlies, right, that blow from China over to the United States. They can control the ascension and descension of the balloon. They could inflate it a little bit, get up in the westerlies, and have it blown in a few days right over to North America. That's what they did. They controlled this balloon. They made sure it went where they wanted it to go. Uh, so this was a deliberate provocation and, and our lack of response until until it was publicly known that there was a balloon over the United States. And, and you know how it was publicly known? It wasn't because the U.S. government told us that there was a spy airship over the United States. Ordinary citizens in Montana spotted this thing floating in the air above their state. And after that, the Biden administration was forced to admit, yes, that there is a Chinese uh, espionage airship over the continental United States. If it hadn't been spotted, I don't think they would have told us. I think they would have hit it. Well, you may very well be right on that point. And the other idea, too, that somehow that this was just at the whim of the Airstream, I I felt from the very get-go had to be utter nonsense. I mean, to begin with, you're going to put up sophisticated, expensive equipment and then have no means of gathering the data or being able to return the balloon back to home. I mean, you can control a drone. Why not a balloon? And, And certainly they can do something like that. And the notion that this was just simply gathering weather data when you've crossed over protected airspace, uh, you know, I, I think it has to be uh, simply called for what it is, and that is an outright abject lie. And then you have to wonder to yourself, well, was this just a huge miscalculation that they were hoping they wouldn't get caught and then did? Whoops. Or was there something more nefarious about this? And as you suggest, maybe this was a bit of testing the waters, or in this case, uh, testing the air. We'll talk about that in a moment. Stephen Mosher with us today, internationally recognized authority on China, also the author of the recently released and best-selling Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream is the New Threat to World Order. We'll take a brief time out back to more of our conversation. What goes up must come down as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You know, it's interesting if you look back through history of UFOs, it cleared back to the Roswell incident back in, what, 47, if memory serves me correctly here. It's not unusual for governments, including our own, when there seems to be something odd going on, potentially nefarious and yet unexplained, to say, oh, it was just a weather balloon. Yeah, that's it, a weather balloon. Well, the excuse being used implied yet once again. What, what makes all of this interesting is... The old adage, what did the government know and when did they know it? Moreover, the notion that there has been some overtures by Beijing in uh, in recent months to try and kind of um, uh, warm up the rather chilly relationship, largely based on um, economic challenges that China is having and looking to the West for uh, economic solutions. And so why why allow this to happen at this time? What's the real agenda here? And for that question, we are turning to uh, Stephen Mosher for some insight. 
rights. He is the president of the Population Research Institute and an internationally recognized authority on China, author of Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream is the New Threat to world order. And we know certainly there's been saber rattling going on as as quite often as you and I have discussed Stephen Ibn in the past related to uh, to Taiwan, human rights concerns that the West has over um, uh, what's been uh, taking place in in Hong Kong and many of the the broken promises there to leave everything as it was for the first 50 years which may, may be less than 50 minutes, I don't know. Uh, what what is your sense? Uh, again, overtures suggesting that they would like to have more relationships with the United States, and yet it seems to me if that's how you want to go about making closer friends, this is not the way to do it. Well, I think uh, they probably thought that uh, if the American public didn't notice that the airship was there spying, uh, that that spineless Joe Biden wouldn't dare shoot it down. He wouldn't risk angering our, our Chinese overlord. So he committed a pathetic national security blunder that, because we found out about the airship, happened in slow motion over four days. Now, I, I, I don't think this is necessarily high-tech espionage, uh, but it's certainly espionage. There's a principle in China. The Chinese Communist Party abides by something called civil military fusion. Let everything support the military, they say. And if you're sending up an airship like this that costs a lot of money to construct, you're doing it because it has a military purpose. Uh, otherwise, you wouldn't, you wouldn't spend the money. Um, they, I think they thought that Biden wouldn't shut it, uh, shoot it down, and they just made the mistake of uh, letting it get too low over Montana, over our military base there, and it was spotted by civilians. And of course, that let the cat out of the bag, or the airship, you know, it, it's a public knowledge. But you know, I think it's a, it's a, it's a good thing in one, in one sense. Uh, Americans are waking up to the fact that uh, Chinese companies like Huawei literally own thousands of acres of our farmland, our ranch land, much of it near U.S. Air Force bases in Montana, North Dakota, Wyoming, and Texas. And, you know, if you go to one of these Air Force bases, uh, like Malmstrom Air Force Base in Montana, there are cell phone towers all around the Montana missile fields that have been running on Huawei equipment. They're monitoring 24-7 all electronic communications. Bring it closer to home, there are cell phone towers running Huawei equipment uh, near Vandenberg Air Force Base in California, near Point Mugu uh, Naval Naval Facility in California. Uh, you know, so there there's all kinds of espionage activity against our sensitive military facilities. This was just one more layer, I think, of espionage. And we have to get serious about doing something about this. Well, I think you're right. And, you know, the, the yeah. thing that's that I think particularly uh, disturbing here and, and, and perhaps a reminder of some valuable lessons during World War II that we've long forgotten, and that is that, you know, at the time, the United States felt fairly safe and secure, thinking that there were thousands of miles of ocean to the east and west of us, protecting us from um, uh, Hitler on one side and, of course, on the Pacific Ocean from uh, Japan. And yet uh, there were a number of assaults on the West Coast. And, of course, we know that merchant marine ships uh, were put to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean by uh, U-boats by Germany uh, multiple times during the course of the war. And, oddly enough, Japan itself used 
yeah. balloons to make their way over to the United States with incendiary bombs attached below with the thought of trying to wreck uh, forest land in Northern California and in uh, in Oregon. Uh, fortunately, none of their attempts were successful, but they did attempt, and there were degrees to which, had the technology of the time been more sophisticated as today, there could have been a dangerous payload. Well, uh, China has now proven for itself that, yeah, indeed, they can very quietly and surreptitiously potentially bring a nuclear weapon across to the United States that way, or a biohazard weapon. Um, and by the time the American people were aware of what was going on, it might very well likely be too late. Yeah, and, and, and people should also know that, that uh, Beijing has been making very nasty noises of late. Uh, not conciliatory noises, but after we shot down the balloon, they said they reserved the right uh, to shoot down an American, uh, American plane. Because they regard this, again, not just as a balloon, but as an airship. So I think that they've, they've ratcheted up the, the, the rhetoric. I don't think they expected Joe Biden to take action. Uh, and, of course, they're also worried about the fact that uh, we now have in the Senate and the House bills at the federal level that would restrict the purchase purchases by Chinese Communist Party-controlled entities of agricultural land in our country. Uh, and I think they'll get it passed. What happens when it lands on Biden's desk? Uh, right next to his veto pen? I don't know. But hopefully he will sign it. Uh, we now have the 130,000 acres near Laughlin Air Force Base, a pilot training center in Texas. We have the governor of Texas and the Texas Republicans working on restricting uh, the purchase of property by uh, businesses run by the, the PLA, run by the Chinese Communist Party in their state. And these are all things that we ought to be doing. And, of course, we ought to put back in place immediately uh, the great anti-espionage program that was put in place by President Trump a few years ago that was immediately lifted uh, when Biden got in the White House. We need to retask the FBI with rooting out foreign intelligence agents and put them back in the business of, of doing what they should be doing. And unless we do this kind of, you know, across the board, no holds barred um, attack on, on CPC, Chinese Communist Party espionage in the United States, uh, they will steal us blind over time. It's a giant vacuum cleaner, and it's vacuuming up all kinds of electronic uh, data from our web servers, uh, from military bases, from communications of all kinds. Well, and you and, and I, you and I have uh, talked about in the past this notion that, uh, oh, whoopee, look, we've sold all of these uh, supercomputers to China. Look at all the money that's being made by Oracle, IBM, whoever, not realizing that they're buying it to disassemble it, to reverse engineer it, to then copy it, and then compete directly with us, and if not, oftentimes use much of the sophisticated equipment that they allege are being bought for business purposes to instead turn them for military purposes. And I think you, the point that you made, Stephen, earlier is, is quite adept, and that is that everything has dualistic purposes. Don't think for a moment, if they're talking about building ball bearing factory number 11, because one through 10 have been so successful, that the ball bearings are going to be used for skateboards. That might be what they're going to tell you. But at the end of the day, chances are there's going to be a highly motivated military purpose behind what they are doing. Much of all of this is laid out the warning 
as to what we may potentially face if we don't wake up. Inside the pages of Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream is the New Threat to World Order. The book is published by Regnery Press. And, of course, the same folks that own this radio station also owns that impression. We appreciate you, uh, Stephen, joining us tonight for some updates. And, uh, yeah, a, a stern reminder that we need to wake up and smell the proverbial cocoa before it's too late. Stephen Musher, my guest on this segment of Lifeline. Half hour from now, we'll have President Biden's State of the Union address. Stay tuned for that. More conversation around the corner as we break down for you the details inside of a pretty nefarious bill itself. AB 315, Brian Johnston joins us as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, as I mentioned in my opening remarks this evening, if you thought that once the vacation of Roe v. Wade back in uh, June of last year, July of last year by the Supreme Court would kind of be the the end of it, could go to a matter of how the states decide um, and, and probably see many states decide in favor of life and then things would kind of quiet down. Oh, no, 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 no. You almost get the sense that they have only just begun in the uh, extremely liberal or, or, or more blue-so states like our own in California. Witness, for example, the idea that the so-called pro-choicers, I'm using my air quotes here that you can't see, but the so-called pro-choicers, in fact, with um, the introduction of Assembly Bill 315, have yet proven once again that choice, oh, that's the farthest thing from their mind. It is strictly a pro abortion agenda and any inkling of allowing a woman access to the full story so she can in fact make an informed decision not part of the agenda at all let's talk about ab 315 and why it's so dangerous brian johnston joins us from the national right to life committee best-selling author of the evil twins roe and doe how the supreme court unleashed medical killing and host of life matters saturday mornings at 11 right here on kfax brian i i have to say that i'm surprised by this but recalling a few years ago when california post post uh, passed a law forcing pro-life organizations to post information about abortion on demand in their centers that I suppose something like AB 315 is just the next natural progression down this very dangerous spiral. Well, Craig, thank you. You're exactly right. And I have to just ask people to stop for a moment. That court case... We, it was challenged immediately. Special thanks to Pacific Justice. But the fact is, is that that had to go to the United States Supreme Court. That was going to force every crisis pregnancy center to promote abortion. So literally, if the girl came into your center, you had to first tell her where she could go to the nearest abortion center, where to go to kill that baby. That was the first thing you had to tell her. It's it's unbelievable. And I would just want to remind listeners, I've said it many times, but we have to realize that the battle is actually not lobbying these people. They cannot be lobbied. You cannot go any more than you can go to the Politburo in Beijing and speak to the representatives of the Chinese people and explain to them why those people need freedom. They are incapable of hearing you. They're not there to hear you. 
And what you have to realize as a Christian in California is that Marxism, the threat of a Marxist world, is not some balloon from across the Pacific. It's an ideology. It is, in fact, if you study Marxism, it doesn't take that long to study it. It is an ardent belief system. It's ardent. It is passionate. They will not be deterred from their goal, which is to bring about a brave, new, more perfect world. They believe this, and this is entirely the foundation of the current Democrat Party of the state of California. I wish I was making it up. I'm not making it up. The best Marxists are much more passionate than any Christian I know. AOC is a Marxist. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Abortion is a sine qua non. And I've written about this. I may have to go into greater depths, but people don't know that abortion is essential to the Marxist revolution because women are the first of all oppressed classes. It's not the poor. No, it's not the choose any class. No, the first of all the oppressed classes were women. And until they can kill babies and be free of motherhood, you're continuing to oppress them. That is an essential element. It's an essential element of Marxist worldview. And if you don't want to look at that, if you think I'm a conspiracy theorist, if you think, you know, that Marxism is is Boris Badenov and, and you know, <laughs> it's, no, no, this is very real. They, human life is cheap in the Marxist world and they're determined. And yes, it has gained ground. What we call now woke thinking is basically the determination that you must change Western civilization and destroy it. That's the goal of Marxism. And your love of babies and mom and apple pie and all of that, that has to be destroyed. You are standing in the way. So if you're not involved in elections at election time, if you think going to the Capitol and lobbying these people is what's going to change them, if you don't change them at election time, you don't change them. It doesn't change. And I'm glad because that was the first thing I was going to mention, Craig. You remember five years ago. We've been here. This is deja vu all over again. These people will not change their mind. They will not be reasonable. They do not care if you think that's a human baby. It has nothing to do with what they've got to be about. They must be about their father's business, the father of lies. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that, Brian, because so often, and, and I don't think there's any, any fault to this narrative, but, but so often the thought has been, well, this is a multi-billion dollar industry, the abortion industry is, and, and, and much of the agenda here is to protect their pocketbooks. And, and while that is certainly a truism, when you look at things like Assembly Bill 315, where, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm quoting here, that it would essentially, um, it would essentially codify the notion that um, any language that they determined to be, quote-unquote, false or misleading related to abortion uh, would essentially run afoul of the law. 
Quote, a person doing business in California who is performing, has performed, or intends to perform a pregnancy-related service shall not advertise using a false or misleading statement related to the person's provision or lack of provision of abortion. And it goes on to say that it doesn't matter whether or not you're doing it for purposes of financial gain or profit. So they broaden this this net that they're casting to make sure that pro-life centers across the state are going to specifically be targeted by this essential gag order here. And uh, so the the agenda is demonstrating that, you know, they kind of got their way in California. The legislature said, that's it. You can do whatever you want. Make uh, abortion tourism available to our state for those that live in states that have more restrictive laws concerning abortion on demand. And uh, you thought that they were done. No, no, no. This this goes beyond just the money. This is this is really, if not just at the core, Brian, a philosophy. It's almost a, a religion in a sense, isn't it? It's exactly what it is. And again, I, I admit that it's not accidental to phrase it the way, Craig. And if you're if you're a Christian, you're listening to Christian radio. You need to understand these people are more passionate about their faith. Than many Christians you know. They're more committed. And I've seen it. I've been around the world. I have lobbied in Belgium, the Green Party. They called them the watermelons. Because when the wall fell, there were many communist parties throughout Europe. They immediately switched and called themselves the Greens. And they were green on the outside. They said they loved the environment. They're entirely Marxist. I've met with Marxists. I have lobbied Marxists. They laugh at you. They literally would laugh at me. And I was trying to explain and use reason with them. You need to understand the kind of battle we're in. And if our nation is lost, and again, it isn't because of a balloon. It's because of the ideas that you have allowed to take hold of your culture. And you must be tenacious in this battle of ideas. Because that is very real. You can only settle these things at election time. And if you're not in the habit of wanting to vote, and not if you care, it doesn't matter. It does matter. Elections matter. So, no, it's, this is a terrible bill. And again, uh, hats off to, to Pacific Justice. Hats off to those who see and understand the purpose of the courts. But that's where this is going. And if you think you can talk your local representative into changing their mind, if they support this, they support it. Well, exactly right. And I think the other point to, to remind folks of that, you know, a lot of times these measures are coming from Southern California. We think, well, we here in the Bay Area, what can we possibly do by voting to try and stem the tide? Guess what? Um, AB 315 uh, is being floated and introduced by Assemblywoman Rebecca Bauer Kahn. You say, that name That name sounds familiar. Well, it should. Um, she's a Democrat from Livermore who has introduced Assembly Bill 315. We'll be talking more about this because it's, it's it's pretty frightening in terms of the impact on uh, on First Amendment rights in our state. And while we're hopeful that if this does make it to fruition, uh, it will be immediately overturned by the federal court. Uh, the reality is it should never get that far 
in the first place. More details on the web. Go to CaliforniaProLife.org. CaliforniaProLife.org. And um, for more details, too, check out Brian's program, Life Matters, Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. right here on AM 1100 KFAX. Our thanks to Brian Johnston for being with us tonight. We'll take a brief time out. Coming up tonight at 6 o'clock, the President's State of the Union Address. More to follow as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. Welcome back here on the um, Tuesday edition of Lifeline. Can, uh, coming up tonight at uh, 6 o'clock right here on KFAX, we will carry President Biden's second State of the Union address live and direct from Washington, D.C. And meanwhile, here's a riddle for you. What do Chinese spy balloons, Assembly Bill 315, and the State of the Union have in common? Well, they're all at the heart of public policy. What a great coincidental introduction to my next guest. Dear friend of this program, he is the dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, Pete Peterson. And Pete, as always, great to have you with us today. Normally, we're talking about uh, hard-hitting public policy topics. Uh, today, though, the, the broader issue is sort of the, the current political environment is constantly reminding us that those that create and shape and institute public policy really have much to say about the direct of not just the state of California, but really the direction of the entire nation and the caliber of the individuals that are shaping and creating that policy can really ascertain whether or not the future of our nation is an encouraging and bright one or a dim and dismal one. I couldn't agree more with you, Craig, and always great to be with you. You know, I saw this firsthand uh, just a couple weeks ago. I got on a flight from uh, Los Angeles Airport uh, in a terminal that felt like it was built in 1972 and stepped off the nonstop flight in Nashville at their brand new airport that just opened and felt like I was catapulted 50 years into the future. Uh, And the difference really, as you walked around a city like Nashville, which is bursting at the seams, I mean, the quip that they have there is that the construction crane is the state bird because they're doing so much construction and building around the city. uh, And to realize that we really don't have a city like that here in California right now, one that's really growing and building and welcoming new people and new business and so forth. And it just struck me that the only difference between, say, Los Angeles or San Francisco and a Nashville is really public policy decisions that people are making, whether they are going to welcome business, welcome growth, uh, welcome families through uh, good school, public school systems. And obviously, we're not doing that well because everybody I spoke with when I was there for a couple days told me how many people from California, north and south, had moved out there. Oh, undoubtedly so. And, you know, you're you're reading every day in the newspaper the atrophying of not just states like California, but cities like San Francisco, um, yeah. of, of folks that, that pick up and move to start a new life, join the high-tech industry, whatever the case might be, and they're, they're filled with lots of, of hope and promises, and then come to find out that, um, you know, it, it's an old building that just has a new coat of paint on it. And then they look at <laughs> crime, and they look 
look at the inconveniences yeah. of, of of living in a very expensive city, and then you know, not to pick on uh, the dear city by the Golden Gate, but you know, you've, you've got everyone from the DA to the mayor that says, "Oh, this whole business of controlling uh, things like uh, human trafficking and prostitution." No, we we don't want to give the police any tools to do that. Mm-hmm. We're, in fact, we're going to take away those tools, and so you you begin to see that it, it it's a disincentive and. San Francisco County is one of the counties in California that over uh, 2022 saw a significant loss in population. And as you right. and I both know, that's not just because the median price of a house is over a million dollars. No, no, that's right. You know, Craig, just this past weekend, I was uh, made a trip to Santa Monica to uh, uh, a shop that I uh, go occasionally. I happen to be a golfer and I it was a golf co- uh, club repair shop. And uh, as I was walking up to the front of the store, which had this glass front to it, the security gates were closed. And I thought the store itself was closed. But when I walked up, I saw that the door was ajar, but the gates were closed. And I poked my head in and said, could somebody let me in? Is anybody here? Well, sure enough, they said, yeah, we'll open the gates. Sorry for the inconvenience. But our store has been in their terms, hit three times in the last few months. And our owner has told us that it's really in our best interest to keep the security gates closed even during business hours. And I thought to myself, (laughs) this was Santa Monica, California, right? And obviously we're seeing the the same pattern uh, with crime. And it may not necessarily be murder, but it's certainly robbery, car theft, and so forth, uh, that is growing across the cities of California. And once again, these are all as a result of public policy decisions that mayors, city councils, and others are making uh, that are making it very hard for small business owners to conduct business, even in cities you never would have thought would have had such uh, challenges with crime. Exactly. And, and so often I hear people articulating their frustration and asking questions such as, well, why are we allowing this to happen? Why isn't there a greater yeah. effort to, to help the homeless people instead of just letting them languish in their in their uh, condition or to be able to crack down on crime? You've got everything from uh, carjackings to um, home invasions to, to smash and grab robberies. Now the, the latest victims seem to be uh, camera store owners. And people wonder, well, what does it all come down to? Why does it happen? Well, it centers on and revolves really on two, the two big P words, policies and politicians. And, of course, without solid public policy to craft the direction that the politicians will then lead in terms of the creation of, of legislation to, to um, govern a community or a nation, we're in se- severe trouble, just as we're witnessing right now. And so uh, helping to train the next generation of um, policy shapers and makers is, of course, at the core, the heart of what the Pepperdine School of Public Policy is all about. And and toward that end, uh, you've got a very special anniversary coming up, I understand. We sure do, Craig. Yeah, we're celebrating our silver anniversary, 25 years as a place that has prepared uh, well over a thousand 
students, now alumni that are out serving around the world, both here in California, across the country, and and all over the globe. And we're delighted to uh, host our anniversary gala at the Reagan Library just over the hill here uh, in Malibu, but over in Simi Valley on Saturday evening and uh, just really excited to uh, celebrate uh, uh, these 25 years and and to look ahead at the next century. Well, we wanted to take an opportunity uh, here tonight, uh, Pete, uh, early on in the year to uh, to say to, to you and to the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, happy anniversary. Congratulations. Hey, if you're by chance going to be in the L.A. area uh, this coming Saturday, well, check it out. And, and if you're not going to be in the L.A. area, but you or a son or a daughter or a grandchild really has a heartbeat for wanting to make a difference in our nation today and you would like to pursue a career of making and shaping public policy, then we invite you to check out the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, information available on the web at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. And, of course, uh, Pete Peterson there serves as the dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. And, uh, uh, Pete, as always, we appreciate not only your insights, but, again, uh, congratulations on uh, uh, reaching this incredible milestone Stone of 25 years of service, and uh, we wish you again uh, very well. And uh, here's to another successful 25 years. Let freedom ring. Pepperdine School of Public Policy Gala coming up on um, Saturday the 11th, um, 6 p.m. And it'll be at the uh, Ronald Reagan Presidential Library. And if you want to check out details, maybe you're going to be in the area. You can go to publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Six o'clock from KFAX. A very brief brief timeout, and we'll take you back to Washington, D.C. as uh, we get queued up for the president's second State of the Union address. Coming your way live next here on KFAX. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.